Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Oh, Brian, what have you done now? Oh, Brian, what have you done now? This is Back to the Future, the podcast. Presented by the Brad Gilmore Show. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, they're going to see some serious shit. Are you telling me that you built a time machine? One point twenty one gigawatts. Wait, cop! Hello? Hello? Anybody home? Hey! This is You've got to come back with me! Where? Back to the future! Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Future, the podcast, the only podcast, not the only podcast anymore, but the greatest podcast, looking back in time at the greatest film trilogy of all time, Back to the Future. I am Brad Gilmore, and I am joined by my friends in time. First, he is David G. Mitchell. Are we back? Did we make it? We did. Oh, that that was great. I'm sorry I interrupted that. That was great. Are we back? Did we make it? Great. Sorry. And my other friend of time from State College, PA. He is a moonshine drinker. His name is Norman Benford. Uh, good evening, friends of time. It is a pleasure to be back. It has been too long. What up, pinheads? I'm glad y'all are still with us. I love me some pinheads. Um, we're going to be announcing our winners of our most recent contest here soon. Um, not on this show, but soon. But anyway, guys, we're back. First of all, how have y'all been? Has everything been okay, Davy Boy Mitch? You enjoy your Thanksgiving? Yeah, nothing too crazy. Just a rela- nice, relaxing, and uh, you know, vegetated on the couch and ate some turkey. So, what more can you ask for? Is there is there a Thanksgiving in Ireland? No, uh, it's just Thursday. Um, <laughs> the way uh, the way I look at it, you know, it's just I get two um, turkey dinners as opposed to uh, one with Christmas and Thanksgiving. So. Yeah, it's 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 not really a thing over in my neck of the woods, but you know, I'm getting used to it being living over here. You know. All right. Well, what about you, Norm? You have a good Turkey Day. I did. Yes, family football, turkey fun, and a little online shopping. It made for a nice uh, break from work. It was definitely a, a much needed reprieve from the rat race. Yeah, dude, I got all my Christmas shopping pretty much, almost all my Christmas shopping done, and I did it via Amazon, which is a great company. Um, the aforementioned <laughs> Amazon, which we talked about before we went on the air. Great company. Love me some Amazon. Being a Prime member is so worth it, by the way. Anyway, let's get into it. Back to the Future, the podcast. We're here. We're here. We're back with a new episode. And today, we're covering maybe, So I think I think it's one of your favorite, one of the two of you's favorite in the franchise, correct? Who, who likes uh, Back to the Future 2 the most? One of y'all did, I thought. I believe that was me, and I'll still stand behind that, even though 
the more you read about Back to the Future 2, especially with everything that's been going on with the anniversary and Future Day, it seems to be the least liked of the movies and actually kind of maligned by some people publicly, which I don't quite get. Where do you think that stems from, Davy Boy Mitch? Why do you think people kind of look at Back to the Future Part 2 and kind of, you know, give a pass on it? Give a passing grade a C and not an A plus. Uh, I don't know. I think we talked about this briefly before. I just I think because it leaves such a cliffhanger at the end of part two, the story doesn't complete in in one movie. People kind of got left a bad taste in their mouth because they have to wait for part three. But you know that's not the case now, obviously because we have the Blu-ray sets. But I mean, it's it's part two. That's all. It's it's what more can you say? I mean, talking. Of, Got to talk about this uh, later on in the shows as we progress. But after having watching the um, the trilogy back to back to back, I think I'm getting more and more fond of Part Three. I mean, oh, Part Three is fantastic. It really is. They, they used to be my least, but I think it's 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 creeping up there in the rankings. You know, it's definitely for me. But we are going to be talking Back to the Future Part Two today on the show, and I thought it'd be fun if we went into a uh, a plot summary, if you will, and our own our resident. Professor, you're a professor, right, Norm? Or you're you work at a college, so it's close enough. I, yeah, I, I work at a college, so I know some professor. professors. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're a professor, as far as I'm concerned. So, Professor Benford, will you run down the plot for Back to the Future Part Two? Of course, I will. And this comes to us from our friends at Wikipedia. Mm. On October 26, 1985. Dr. Emmett Doc Brown arrives in his flying time machine and persuades Marty McFly and his girlfriend, Jennifer Parker, to come back to the future with him to help their future children. Biff Tannen witnesses their departure. They arrive on October 21st, 2015, where Doc electronically knocks out Jennifer and leaves her asleep in an alley, explaining that she should not have too much knowledge of future events. He has Marty pose as his own son to refuse an offer to participate in a robbery with Biff's grandson, Griff. Marty switches places with Marty Jr. and refuses Griff's offer, but Griff goads Marty into a fight. Griff and his gang are arrested, saving Marty's future children. Before rejoining Doc, Marty purchases an almanac containing the results of major sporting events from 1950 to 2000. Doc discovers it and warns Marty about attempting to profit from time travel, but before Doc can adequately dispose of it, they are interrupted by the police who have found Jennifer incapacitated and are taking her to her 2015 home. They pursue, as does Biff, who has overheard their conversation. Jennifer wakes up in her 2015 home and hides from the McFly family. She overhears that her future self's life with Marty is not what she expected due to his involvement in an automobile accident. She witnesses Marty's co-worker Needles goading him into a shady business deal, which leads, Mar- leads to Marty's firing. Attempting to escape the house, Jennifer encounters her 2015 self, and they both faint. While Marty and Doc attend to her, Biff steals the time machine and uses it to travel back to 1955 and give the almanac to his younger self to get rich betting, then returns to 2015. Marty, Doc, and an unconscious Jennifer return to 1985, unaware of Biff's actions. That's three out of five paragraphs. Stick with me here, folks. (laughs) The 1985 to which they return has changed dramatically. Biff has become wealthy and corrupt and has changed Hill Valley into a chaotic dystopia. Marty's father, George, was killed in 1973, and Biff has forced Marty's mother, Lorraine, to marry him. Doc has been committed to an insane asylum. Marty and Doc decode evidence that 2015 Biff took the time machine to change 1985, and Marty learns from 1985 Biff that he got the almanac on November 12, 1955. 
Biff attempts to kill Marty, but Marty flees and returns to 1955 with Doc. Marty secretly follows 1955 Biff and watches him receive the almanac from his older self. Marty then follows him to the high school's dance, being careful to avoid interrupting the events from his previous visit. Marty and 1955 Biff steal the almanac back and forth, but Marty and Doc retrieve it after Biff crashes into a manure truck. Surprise, surprise. Marty burns the almanac, reversing Biff's changes to the timeline as Doc hovers above in the time machine. Before they they can return to 1985, the machine is struck by lightning and disappears. A Western Union courier immediately arrives and delivers a letter to Marty. It is from Doc, who explains that he was transported back to 1885. Marty races back into town to find the 1955 Doc, who seconds earlier had helped the original Marty return to 1985. Shocked by Marty's sudden reappearance, Doc faints. Roll credits. Wow. I gotta say... I gotta say, I'm quite impressed with whoever wrote this uh, plot summary on Wikipedia because I was expecting a hell of a lot more detailed plot summarization. But it works. That five paragraphs, wherever it is, gets everything in. Yeah, no, I mean it, it does a great job, a very great job. Shout out to the fine folks at Wikipedia. So there we are, Back to the Future Two. We leave off from Back to the Future, obviously Part One, um, where you know we saw them boom go into the future, and I think we've talked about it before, how that ending scene where Doc says, Marty, you got to come back with me, back to the future. You know, uh, we've talked about that before, how that was kind of a joke that they wrote in, the Bobs wrote in, and then they get the green light to do the sequel after Back to the Future is the biggest film ever at the point, at least in my eyes it is. And uh, so they have to go into the sequel. And the one thing that we can say about the Back to the Future team and the writers and the Bobs is they are sticklers continuity am i right oh absolutely uh they they refilmed some of the scenes from the end of part one obviously because they had a new actress playing jennifer but uh they were pretty much spot on although I mean, yeah go ahead David. although there is like being the uh you know the slight nitpicker nick pickers that are out there there is certain instances in that whoa whoa david scene. this is a family show watch your language there <laughs> Like uh, the first things that are coming to mind is um, Marty's hair is a lot longer in the reshoot of part two. Um, he's not wearing a watch, I believe, and there's a headrest missing from the Toyota truck. There's like three instances that are like not the same as the, as the original. So that's it, for the most part, people can get it, but you know us, you know pinheads would <laughs> notice these things you know yeah you know I, I remember seeing there's a youtube video out there that actually shows the ending scene from the first movie and the second movie back to back you know i mean it shows them simultaneously i should say and you can see the differences and and i mean it's not even time the same but you know those are really you know stickler 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 now can we talk about some before we go too much into the movie that's always stuck out to me michael j fox looks considerably older in the sequels than he does in the original am i right mm. I think if he had to cut his hair a bit shorter, like akin to the first, the end of the first movie, then it might have worked a little bit better because he is, you know, a young looking dude. And yeah, there's a little bit of aging on him, but I, 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 I get what you're saying totally. I mean, in four years, this guy really aged, in my opinion. Like, he does not look like a teenager to me. This man looks like a man who's in his, you know, early to mid 20s got to say, that's not something I ever really picked up on before, but I will have to pay attention on uh, my next rewatch, which, of course, I'm sure will be coming sometime over the holiday season. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, no one else really aged as much as, as Marty did. And I don't know if it's because we see him the most so we can see the differences in his age the most. But really, from the first film to the second film, there was a, there, I thought there was a significant aging of Michael J. Fox. And, um, I, I mean, that's something that's always stuck out to me, and I've never been really able to ignore it. It's funny you say that as well because I've noticed, in my opinion anyway, in parts two and three, Christopher Lloyd, or Doc, looked got younger, I thought. You know, he looked better. <laughs> yeah, he did look better. Well, it's because he, you know, he had a facelift in the early 21st century uh, and a change of blood. It'll do it to you. It'll do it to you. Okay, so we, we leave off right there, and then we see that uh, they have to go back uh, to the future to save you know, Marty's kids. Something's got to be done about his kids. And then we see um, – actually, I think the first scene of this movie is the, the flying off, and before the opening credits, uh, Biff goes, what the hell is going on here? And then we go mm-hmm. into that. And here's the thing. Out of all the opening credits of all three films, Back to the Future Part Two is my favorite. It's very late 80s, early 90s style of kind of flying through a sky. Like I feel like they did that in a couple of the movies, kind of like Adam's Family style. or Superman. Uh, or Superman or Mission uh, – not Mission Impossible. Men in Black had something similar to that too. Um, I, I love that kind of feel. Where you're just going through the air and, and you're seeing the credits and you know the music's playing and I mean I lo- I really like that uh, opening credit scene. I mean I don't know if y'all have really any thoughts about it, but I really did enjoy flying through the air and getting all the the credits out of the way. Now I I don't dislike that, but I got to say that 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 opening credit sequence just, it just can't touch the clocks in the beginning mm-hmm. of part one. I mean just the yeah, the amount of work right. that went into that and. Uh, and for that to be one continuous shot, yeah, yeah, you're right. that was that was all real practical effects, no CGI. You know, there were just crew winding clocks and setting clocks everywhere, and for them to be able to capture, I can't even keep my two watches on the same time. And they had a whole room full of clocks, uh, you know, ticking in damn near synchronicity and going off at the same time. So I will respectfully give my nod to the opening of part one. Yeah, you're right, 100% right. I even think, like for some reason, that slipped my mind. I recant my statement. I think that the opening credits for part one are better, but I still enjoy these credits. And then we see them descending upon Hill Valley, um, uh, California, on October 21st, 2015. Uh, Jennifer Parker's in the car. They're kind of going uh, going over what's going on. They're finding out they're in the future, Marty and uh, Jennifer are. And, I mean, the movie starts. So, uh, as a viewer of this film, what, what were you thinking, uh, Davey Boy Mitch, when you first were watching this and you see they're in the air? I mean, did, did you expect the adventure they were going on? What was going on in your mind? I think the first thing, because, uh, like, obviously you see the credits and you see the, the car flying. You saw that at the end of part one. But the thing that made it, like, super cool is when they land into Hill Valley and you see the car just slowly descending, the wheels flip down. And it lands, and then that was the first part where you thought, "Okay, cool, this is the future here. This is like uber cool technology." And what are we? What else are we gonna see? And then Doc gets out and talks about the weather, stopping in like two minutes or whatever. And you thought, "All right, here we go. What else are we gonna find out about the future? Or what else is is gonna happen?" You know? No, I mean, I totally agree. I mean, when when they when they descend in that alleyway or whatever, and and they start to. Uh to start to figure out, you kind of start starting to set the scene. They did a, you know, Bob uh, Bob Zemeckis did a very great job of of making us feel. I mean, I don't know. Like as soon as they landed, I already felt like we were in Hill Valley, and I don't know 
it was kind of a weird thing. They did a really good job of, of making making those landmarks of Hill Valley so known to us that uh, even when they have future updates, you still feel it 100%. Like, you know exactly where you are. There's no mistake about it. We are in the future. And um, and we're in Hill Valley. So they, so they land in the back. You know, Doc inoculate, inoculates uh, Jennifer Parker, uh, played by this time Elizabeth Shue, who I still think did a great job, but... Claudia Wells is my girl, definitely the hotter Jennifer of the two. I know y'all might disagree with me, but it's okay because, like my other show says, your opinion doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love you guys. Y'all are my friends in time. But anyway, so we're moving on, and then um, we see uh, this- before mm-hmm. before we jump ahead in the plot, Brad. Just uh, something I'd like to note here that has really come to light uh, during the anniversary year and a lot of interviews where both both Bobs had said. If they knew they were going to be making a second movie, they never would have put Jennifer in the time machine at the end of part one. They they didn't know what to do with her. This is and will always remain a Marty and Doc story. So mm-hmm. what's the first thing they did when they got her to the future? They they knocked her the hell out and threw her behind a garbage can. <laughs> is that so she's the, out of the story. Is that not the craziest thing, though, when you think about it? Like... I, I mean, I, we all think I'll live in pretty uh, populous cities. I, I don't know how State College PA really is, but D- uh, Davey Boy Mitch, you're, you're in Orlando. I'm in Houston. Uh, these are pretty metropolitan kind of like cities. I would never leave my girlfriend passed out in an alleyway I don't, in 2015. I don't, I don't care what city I'm in, if it's Hill Valley or Houston, Texas. That's not going down. Isn't that the mm-hmm. craziest no. thing to do? Well, she was – Cleverly disguised behind all that garbage, so I think she was probably pretty safe. Are you saying that Elizabeth Shue is trash? <laughs> that's not at all what I'm saying. Well, that's what that's that, what you just insinuated. That's that's another movie altogether, and that movie was called Leaving Las Vegas. Oh, shots are being fired on the podcast today. But uh, I would just never leave somebody. Like, why did they think? Why couldn't they just leave her in the time machine? Yeah, that that probably would have been easier. <laughs> Probably would have worked, and that would have prevented them going to Hilldale. And they they could have locked the doors. I guess technically she would have been a little safer. Yeah, you think in a DeLorean that flies in, with the doors locked, or laying in a pile of trash in an alleyway in California. Let's weigh out the options here. We ridiculous. discover something new each time with these movies. You know something. <laughs> We didn't know before. Exactly. I mean, we, we can point out uh, some, some, some plot holes in this thing. Now, <clears throat> have you all seen the, the picture that was floating around, especially during Future Day, when Michael J. Fox does put on the Nike Air mags and uh, you know they, they power lace? There was a behind-the-scenes picture, and it looked like it took a dozen guys to pull yeah. off that special effect. Oh, that was yeah, for the jacket. Was that for the jacket? That wasn't for yeah, the shoes? Yeah. Was that no, for no. the shoes and the jacket or just the jacket? It, it, I, it was definitely the shoes. It may have been the jacket too. I mean, but I mean, those things were practically Muppets. They had people pulling strings everywhere. Yeah, I, mean, I believe. Just, what a what a crazy special effect. I believe the uh, the shoes. It was like on a raised platform or something because the shoe the the laces went through the ground. That's how they were able to tighten them. You know, it may have been a similar amount of people or whatever, but the picture that has been floating around online for years was the one where he's has the jacket on because when you he's putting on the shoes, he doesn't have the jacket on yet. You know. But the the laces like tighten through underneath the ground, you know. It's it's very well done how he did it, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, a great special effect. So then <clears throat> we we kind of get what's going on with uh, you know this happens to your son and it gets worse. Two weeks later, your sister tries to break him out and she gets twenty years or whatever the line was. Um, 
What what when you found out what the plot was kind of going for? Do you, did you think that was reason enough to go into the future and potentially screw up the the space time continuum? Uh, it, it it felt a little flimsy to me, but mm. uh, by comparison to the first one, whereas the first one was just kind of this experiment gone wrong, and it was becoming a matter of life and death. This one was. Eh, Keep keep your son from screwing up. It, it didn't have quite the resonance as part one or part three, where part three there was kind of that uh, that looming death that they were trying to prevent. I basically I think like it was kind of a, a crappy uh, reason to get them into the future, but once they got into the future, a bigger reason happened with the almanac for them to sort out the future. You know what I mean, so it's just like oh something's got to be done about your kids. Okay, we done that, and then oh, oops, something else happens. Biff steals the almanac. So was that really? Machine. Do you think, Davey, uh, that was just like a, a you know a mulligan to get them to the future? Mm, it could be, or it could be just you know happy accident. You know, it's just if if the, if, if the storyline was just the daughter, the son and daughter thing, I thought it would, I think it would have been a bit crappy. But you know, maybe it is. Maybe we we don't give the. The Bob's even even more credit than they deserve, you know? Yeah, perhaps. So anyway, but, you know, we finally start to walk down the alleyway, 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 and uh, and we see the future Hill Valley. We see the monument. We see the clock tower has been updated. It's a, you know what? There's a pretty badass-looking clock tower. Am I right? It's a shopping mall now, supposedly. Well, yeah. in the in this, in the future. Which, which, of course it is. Because that's that's you know that, that's one thing the Bob's got. Like we'll take historical landmarks and completely destroy them, so we can add uh, more consumerism, right, Norm? Absolutely, uh, uh, definitely. So what we're seeing the future, uh, the future of Hill Valley, and uh, Doc does direct Marty to say you need to go to the Cafe Eighties down around the corner, the Cafe Eighties, one of those nostalgic places that wasn't quite done right. You're going to run into a guy named Griff. Griff's going to ask you if you're in or out. And you just say no, right? I'm out. By any means necessary, you say no, I'm not interested. And so then we see Marty start to walk to the Cafe 80s, and he walks in. And the first thing I think is he is he first greeted with Ronald Reagan, right? In the cafe, yeah, I believe so. It's Ronald Welcome Reagan. to the Cafe 80s where it's always morning in America, even in the afternoon. Oh, there you go, David. <laughs> and then he gets the Pepsi Perfect, of course, which none of us will ever – He's the only he's the only one who got a Pepsi perfect. (laughs) Screw you, Pepsi. I still hate y'all for that. Um, But then he's in there. And who does he run into? Davy boy, Mitch. Uh, Old Griff or old Griff notices him. Old Biff. Old Biff notices. Old Biff. Sorry. Excuse me. And uh, what now here we talked about the old age makeup in the first movie. Did they nail old man uh, old man Biff or what? I mean, this was a great old-looking man. Mm-hmm. You're taking a twenty-some-odd-year-old guy and you're putting him in that uh, in that costume and that makeup. And this is really um, all praise due to Thomas F. Wilson for for being able to do that hunchback kind of routine, really feel like an old man. And what I love though about it is it continues his character storyline from the first movie, the alternate 1985, the original alternate 1985. Where he is now more so uh, George's biatch, and it continues uh, the the trend of that. Even though we find out here in a minute that George is is no uh, 
No, well, that's that's down the road. But that he's no Biff is no longer working for George. He's working for his grandson Griff. Now we know Griff has a few short circuits in his bionic implants. Um, but so we meet we meet Biff, and Biff tells Marty that his old man Marty Senior took his life and flushed it completely down the toilet. Now I remember when I first saw this movie, I was like, "What the hell is this old crazy bastard talking about?" Obviously, he's senile. We know Marty McFly is not a loser. We know he's not a loser. He is a winner. You know, he is a winner. He invented rock and roll. He invented skateboarding. This man uh, kissed his mom. This guy's a winner. Okay. So what's going on here? Why is he? Uh, why is he a total loser? So what was going on in your head, Norm, when you first heard that? Well, that's when the movie started to get a little more interesting for me. When it was less about. Uh, you got to keep Marty Jr. out of jail and more about, well, what the heck happened to Marty? Because when last we saw him, things were going really well. So what happened in this past 30 years where all of a sudden his life has gone to hell? It, it Still, it's not uh, a life or death scenario like in some of the other movies, but I feel like it upped the ante a little bit. I, I think it definitely did. It, 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 it That was where the story really started to draw me in. Like, the future of seeing it was cool, but it really started to draw me in whenever we um, whenever, whenever we got to that part. But I did leave out a couple of things that I wanted to talk about. We saw the Jaws 19, which we've talked about on the show before, the hologram, which was cool. Um, we saw Goldie Wilson III with his hover conversions. I just thought it was funny just seeing, seeing this, that seemingly nobody ever leaves Hill Valley, right? No family ever moves out of Hill Valley. It's the same families just continuing in generation after generation after generation. Goldie Wilson III obviously kept it all in the family because his father and mother must look exactly like his grandfather for him to look like that. I mean that's one thing I don't know if we've ever really tackled on the show. It's just the familialness uh, where everyone is not only related but looks exactly the same. And we'll get into this really heavy in Back to the Future Part 3. Did you ever – did that ever bother any of you all that – um? that they looked exactly the same? No, it was just more funny than anything, you know? More so comedic thing that you didn't really yeah. bother you storyline-wise. I don't know. It's kind of weird when you when you really start to put the uh, put the uh, the CSI glasses on and really look at this thing, look at this crime scene. Um, you, really, you really start to look at these little things a little more intense than you normally would. So, I mean, after a couple of repeat viewings, I'm like, would they really look exactly the same? But then, you know, if it's for comedic effect, it's for comedic effect. So, anyway, we finally meet Griff and his squadron of, of, of lackeys of his own version of the Pinheads. And we see a confrontation between him and, and Marty McFly Sr. while uh, Marty McFly Jr. is entering the bar and all hell breaks loose. Um, first of all, it took me a long time at, after repeat viewings to even realize that that, that, was, that was two Michael J. Foxes. Am I the only stupid one in, in this three of us? I did not know that was Michael J. Fox. I thought that was a guy that kind of looked like him. Really? Yeah, no, I, I swear. I, I got that from day one, but I'll, I'll credit that to being a, a little bit older the first time I saw it. Yeah, so I we'll, give you, we'll really give you a pass on that one. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll have to use my age on that one because when I first saw it, I'm like, oh, that guy kind of looks like Michael J. Fox. Not a lot, but kind of. I literally thought it was some other actor they hired. To play so, Michael's son. So, 
So, Brad, did you find yourself having strange feelings for that girl that kind of looked like Michael J. Fox? We're going to get to that here in a minute because (laughs) that's a real big point of contention for me. Um, But anyway, so uh, we meet Griff and then um, after some exchanges between the two of them and an amazing baseball bat that doesn't get talked about enough, that Mark McGuire uh, self-extending – uh, once daily pill for natural male enhancement just extends out, and um, and it's a really a badass bat when you really think about it. But anyway, so then we see this hoverboard chase um, is what we're about to see. We're going to be introduced to the hoverboard for the first time here momentarily. So this was the first instance, of, by the way, of Marty being called chicken throughout the whole movie and the third movie too. David, great call right there. What do y'all think about that? Because here's the thing in. Traditionally, your protagonist in a traditional story will have a character flaw, and then by the end of the story, he'll have a character arc which will which will fix that flaw that he had to begin with at the beginning of your story. And in the first movie, there were there, there really wasn't a flaw that Marty McFly had. I mean, traditionally, the story doesn't follow, um, you know, you know, Act One, Act Two, Act Three, and here's the arc for your main character. It's really about you know George and Lorraine more than mm-hmm. anybody. And then um, – and it wasn't about Marty. He was just kind of the, the tool, the plot device to get them back together. That's what the story was about. So what did you think, Norm, about them inserting this character flaw in Marty in the second film? Uh, I didn't mind it. It, it, gave, it gave Marty kind of a little bit more to do as a character than just save his family. He, in the first movie, he was just kind of there to save his family. And we, we talked about this in a previous episode, and you just touched on it a little bit now. Back to the Future isn't really Marty's story. Marty's there to move the story along, but it's it's George and Lorraine's story. And Marty disrupts the story. Well, Marty and Doc disrupt the story, and then they bring it back together. But now in this second and third movie, by introducing that uh, character defect or flaw, it gives – it gives Marty an opportunity to grow as a character by the time the trilogy is closed. Yeah, I mean, it gives him it gives him a little something extra. I don't know if I was always particularly the fan of of the flaw that they gave him. I thought it was a mm-hmm. little too on the nose. David, do you agree? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people have like called it a bit, you know, crappy excuse. I mean, I know I, I didn't didn't mind it too much, but I can certainly, you know, agree. Like, oh, he's called chicken. He gets mad when people call him chicken. I was like, come on, really? It's your, that's what his fly is, you know what I mean? But I guess it's it works in the context, but I thought they could have come up with something a little bit better than, oh, he hates when people call him chicken, you know? Yeah, I thought it was just a little bit too, like, right there on the nose, and I thought we could have maybe come up with something a little bit more creative. But, hey, I mean, I didn't write the thing, right? I wasn't even alive when this thing was produced, so I really didn't have a say-so. Um, but moving along, Marty does... Uh, does this amazing hoverboard chase. And the hoverboard, to me, is almost as synonymous with the series as the DeLorean is and um, and the Flux Capacitor. Those are like the top three things I think you think about when when you're talking about Back to the Future. So, Norm, um, when you saw the hoverboard for the first time, you probably were like, where can I buy one? Yeah, that, that was just amazing to see. And Again, uh, practical effects. They they did it all by hand, did it all manually. But uh, my goodness, did that just make for some some good movie watching? That was just uh, and the the fact that it was it was just a little girl's toy that he uh, kind of repurposed, you know, which was a bit of a callback to the first movie where he was just uh, 
using the the scooter with with the front part ripped off. But agree with you totally. Probably, you know, you you could argue that it's more synonymous with the trilogy than the DeLorean. I don't know which side of the fence I would land on, but what what an iconic piece of movie memorabilia and you know movie plot device that hoverboard has grown to be. I mean, it was just it was just fantastic. As Donald Trump might say, it was huge. It was huge. Um, I mean, it was really a, a great thing to see that first time you saw the hoverboard. You know, and and here's the thing: I uh, recently celebrating this Christmas season watched Home Alone Part One and Two back to back. Right? I'm not going to bother with three, four, and five whatsoever. But one and two to me are, are classic films. And what I loved about the sequel to Home Alone is it hit all the exact same beats that I liked from the first one just a second time in a different setting. And you know what? I don't some people might call that easy or or simple or you're, you're not being creative enough. I don't really care because it get, it's giving me what I loved about the first film, but again in a different way, in a different setting, um, you know, at a different time, you know, with 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 the same kind of story going but with slightly skewed a little bit. And, you know, we're seeing an exact repeat of what happened in 1955 with Marty where he invents skateboarding. He now, you know, where he stopped a little boy to break his scooter apart. He now stops a little girl to break her hover scooter apart to get the hoverboard. And uh, I know he didn't invent hoverboarding this time around. But, you know, he he hits the same beats. Run away from Griff's gang, uh, Biff's gang in 55. And instead of a uh, manure truck, it's a big glass uh, clock tower window. I mean, it's the same beats, and some people might say, well, it's just, you know, lack of creativity, but that's why I loved Home Alone 1 and 2. I got exactly what I loved about the first one and the second one. What do y'all think? Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, you, you know what you're getting. You know what to expect. Um, I think, going back to the hoverboard thing uh, slightly, I think partly the appeal of why it's become so iconic, too, is definitely its color scheme and its design, this, you know, hot pink uh, metal design thing because I think and I could be wrong here now if it was just a plain black or a plain I don't know red hoverboard it wouldn't have the same appeal um, with its look and its design and you know, I know myself when I got finally got my hands on my Mattel hoverboard that they released in 2013 or whatever I put in the batteries and the board started hovering making hovering noises and I could slide it over the carpet and I was like I turned into six years old again you know so I mean <laughs> It was phenomenal. It's it's an iconic designed hoverboard, and that's definitely part of its appeal. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it. I think the color scheme. I think you hit it right on the head there. I mean, it's just a classic look to it. Um, so we see Griff go and his gang go through the clock tower window. The paper changes. USA Today changes, and then um, Marty kind of goes perusing a little bit. So we should say right. And Norm, he actually comes across a an antique store, right? And 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 he looks into that antique store window and he sees several things: a dustbuster being one of them, a Roger Rabbit plush toy being another, which I thought was a nice touch. But he saw something that really caught his eye. And what was that? That was, of course, Gray's Sports Almanac, which gives uh, the the scores for every major sporting event through the year two thousand. Yes, and and Marty was like, "Hey, well, you know." And the guy who gave it to him was who, David? Who gave him the idea to get that almanac? Terry. Exactly. Terry's like, I wish I could go back in time, put some money on the Cubbies. And that gave Marty the idea, I got a time machine I'll never lose. So he buys 
that sports almanac only for Doc Brown to discover that he did buy this. And he said, but I didn't invent the time machine to travel through time. I just have to think of something. Say again? I just have to think of something, and I've never thought about this before. If they did get the almanac and they went back to 1985 to place a couple of bets, as they say, Marty's still, what, 17? You know, uh, how how old do you have to be to gamble? 18. Uh, You know, so you couldn't have even put a a couple of bets on. You know what I mean? Well, he could have waited till his birthday. I'm sure you could. He has 50 (laughs) years of information. I'm sure he can, you know, he's got 25 good years or or however long until – you know, it, it's over with, so or fifteen or whatever it is, until the, the information's no longer good. So I think he's got some good time to make some money. You know? <laughs> I suppose. I, I don't think I don't think he's tripping too much on that. But anyway, so Doc finds out that this is his idea and says instantly, "No, I'm not going to allow this to happen." And when he tries to throw the time, the uh, the uh, what is it called, the 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 almanac into the litter bug, which is that trash can robot, they see that Jennifer is being picked up by the police department now. Did either one of you ever find this interesting at all, that the uh, two police officers were both women? Did anyone ever pick up on that? I, I did, and I, I I noticed it, but it really didn't uh, impact me in any way. I just I just think, of, even back then, I thought, oh, well, that's just uh, an interesting casting choice. I, you know, I kind of think that it was it was another uh, commentary on where the Bobs thought the future was going, and it was it was for more uh, uh, equal e- equality in genders and and uh, gender roles being blown out the window, and, and these gender specific jobs where you think of a fireman or a police officer or a military man or even a postman to a certain extent, um, they thought by the time 2015 was around that those uh, gender roles would would kind of be uh, um, abolished, like they would abolish all lawyers. And I think this – I mean I think that was kind of – I mean the, uh, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I think that was kind of the, the statement that was being made with these two female police officers. Yeah, I think I agree. I mean I never really thought about it too much at the time. I just thought, oh, it's two women police officers. But yeah, I mean you see mo- obviously more and more women's in, in, in the roles that are you know typically supposedly for men. So yeah, maybe it was a, a statement that we're, they were going – those guys can surely see into the future, I tell you. Yeah, they, they, you know, they're pretty good at it. They're pretty good at it. So then we see that uh, Marty and and Doc see Jennifer being taken home to Hilldale. And Hilldale is home, uh, home to what? Tranks, Lobos, and Zip Heads. Yeah, that's right. Tranks, Lobos, and Zip Heads. And uh, Hilldale, apparently, if I had to uh, think, if I had to kind of guess, it used to be a prestigious neighborhood. And then it was run down over time, which happens um, to to many neighborhoods in the United States. Over time, they just you know whatever happens, they just become run down. And so Marty, I think, kind of was excited that he lived in Hilldale. So he and Doc follow them to Hilldale to try to retrieve Jennifer Parker. Jennifer Parker, though, does enter her home, and uh, let's kind of talk about what we see in the future McFly house. Norm, what what were some of the things that we got to see? Uh, some of the things we got to see were the the giant multi-screen TV, the screens on the walls simulating uh, the outside. Uh, of course, the food hydrator. I really liked that drop-down garden they had in the, the kitchen and the dining area. I'd put one of those in today, actually. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, you know, the... One thing we did see is also Marty's daughter, Marlene McFly, I believe is her name. And uh, th- this is interesting. 
All right, I didn't know that this, I didn't know that that was Michael J. Fox either when I was younger. Now I'm not saying I ever had a affinity for Marlene McFly, but I do want to say that Michael J. Fox isn't a bad looking chick. Oh yeah. Whoa, David, pull- that was a creepy. Oh yeah, I'm not <laughs> that was a really creepy. Oh yeah, he <laughs> pulls it off. Chick. Uh, yeah, I can admit when you know dudes are good looking chaps, you know, and he can pull it off well, you know, and drag, you know, so. <laughs> I'm not surprised you thought that way, Brad, but I personally didn't think that was a real girl, but you know. I don't know what it was about. I guess I just my, – my whole uh, – my observational skills in this movie were, were, were very low at the first – at my first viewing because I did not recognize either one of them as being Michael J. Fox. I know probably people listening to this, the pinheads listening to this right now are like, this guy's an idiot. Of course, of course that's uh, Michael J. Fox, but I did not think so. But Jennifer Parker – is now seeing her future home. She gets married in the chapel of love. She's trying to get out. Doc's saying, press your thumb to the plate. There's there's chaos going on. Mar, uh, you know, Old Marty comes home. He's saying he's the king of the castle. We're seeing... Um, now, here, let me ask you this. When Lorraine and uh, George McFly in, in 2015 show up, of course, Christopher... Uh, not Christopher Walken. <laughs> Crispin Glover um, did not return to be... George McFly, and they replaced him with Jeffrey Wiseman, who did an interview on the show in season one. Did either one of you notice that that was not George McFly? Uh, I, I did right away. You did, uh, really? I did, I did. Even though he was suspended upside down, uh, I know they did a lot of prosthetics on him to try to get him to look like Crispin Glover, but he just looked he looked uh, really putty-faced to me, and I could tell right away that it was a different actor. He sounded like him, though. How'd you hurt your neck? Oh, I'm a golf course. You know, I mean, like the whole thing. I mean, I thought he did a pretty good job. What did you think, David? Do you know someone different? Yeah, I mean, on my probably my first my first view of this, probably not. I mean, you just you hear the character voice, and it's upside down as you, as you say. So, I mean, he does a pretty good job of disguising it. But it's only until years later you discover that it was actually a completely different actor. So, I mean, on my first few viewings, probably not. But you know. He does a very good job of, you know, and they, they hide it well, which was the whole point, I guess, flipping him upside down and, you know, all that prosthetics on him. You know, um, in most film franchises, you're lucky to have a one really strong villain. You know, when I think of when I think of Bond, there's a there's a myriad of James Bond villains. But, you know, you think of Goldfinger, you think of Dr. No. Right. I mean, the really good villains from those early films. And when you think of Back to the Future, you think of Biff. Great villain, top-notch villain. But I think a man who's really pretty much an unsung villain, if you will, is Mr. Douglas J. Needles, portrayed by one of the greatest bass players of all time, Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. We are introduced to Douglas J. Needles, a co-worker, a cohort, and uh, a seemingly an, an enemy of Marty McFly. We're, we're introduced to him via FaceTime, if you will, and... Uh, we're seeing this character trait of Marty being brought out once again. Um, but what do y'all think about Needles? Needles is such a great villain to me. He he had some flavor to the story. He's he's kind of like uh, the the Darth Maul to the Darth Vader. He's never really the the main villain, but he's around and he causes enough trouble and he's negative enough that that he makes an impression. And he plays his part in the story, and he plays it well. I think he's more Jabba the Hutt than Darth Maul. But David, what do you think? Yeah, he did well for you know being a, a musician and you know and not an actor. Because uh, for years later, I 
I didn't know who have a clue who that was. You know, I didn't realize it was Flea from the Chili Peppers until years later because I don't know. I mean, what part two came out? Eighty nine. Were the Chili Peppers even big at that time? I mean, um, was it I a think, reason? I mean, I think they were pretty. They were pretty well known. Um, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't think they were at the uh, blood sugar sex magic level yet. But um, I mean, they're pretty. They're pretty well known, right? Anthony. Ke- I see. I've always been able to recognize Anthony Kiedis, but I. I was like you. I did not know that that was. Uh, flee till till years and years later. Um, and, like even and, mm-hmm. even looking at the credits and when they roll and say needles and it says flee and I was like, who the hell is flee and why does he only have one name? You know? <laughs> He's like Madonna flee. What a great first name that would actually be. Um, but so we we see Marty get, once again get convinced into doing something he didn't want to do was called a chicken and was fired for it. Now I've always wondered when do you think Marty actually did? Like what was the big scheme? That got him fired. Like I never really understood exactly what happened and why he got fired. I, I think it's something you know you can kind of guess it's something along the lines of some insider trading, something like that, mm-hmm. using company knowledge. Because mm-hmm. it strikes me that the transaction probably happened outside of the company, but mm-hmm. then again, he did have to use his company credentials to transact it, so maybe not. Wait, what was Marty's job though? <laughs> Yeah, I don't even know what that. I think was it like a chemical plant or something like that, or some kind of plant. I think it says it under Needle's name, like where he works. So I'm I'm, I'm assuming wherever that was was where McFly worked. Now, did you also ever notice that as soon as uh, Needle says "see you around, McFly," it looks like he's looking up at somebody else and smiling? Did you mm. ever notice that? No, I did not. I, well, look at it again because I think that was it was all a big ruse. Um, it was all it was a setup um, um, to to get McFly fired because if you look at it as soon as he says see around McFly he backs his chair up and he looks up at somebody and smiles I swear I, I I think it was a setup they set him up they framed him could be or then again it could be him looking up at Bob Z saying was that okay was that a good take <laughs> yeah he could have said that so anyway we see him get fired Jennifer takes the facts she says she's got to get out of here she's got to. And um, and that, that's when Doc and Marty are trying to help her get out. Then they see one another. Uh, old Jennifer and new Jennifer see each other. They faint. Doc and Marty try to get her back. And during this time, old Biff steals the almanac, travels back to 1955, and then back to the same exact position that he's in and later disappears, although they don't show that to you in the movie. And then um, Doc and Marty get Jennifer back into the time machine, throw her in, and they go back to 1985 and almost get struck by an airplane. Now, guys, that is where we're going to stop today for our retrospective of Back to the Future Part 2. We will pick it up next week where we will start exactly from where we left off at this very moment in time where Doc and Marty return to the to 1985, the present from 2015 to the future. So, for Davey Boy Mitch, for Norman Benford, I'm Brad Gilmore. We are your friends in time, and we will see you in the future.
Brad Gilmore Show On Demand is meant for entertainment purposes only and does not mean to infringe on any copyrights of Back to the Future, its characters, its audio clips, or its music. Hope to see you again in the future. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save 